Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning into the Healthy Future podcast, where we reflect on the incredible transformation happening in healthcare today and look ahead to the progress we will see tomorrow. We will be focusing on an important topic during today's discussion, empowering patients and giving them a voice. And I'm excited to have a few terrific guests joining us. Regina Holliday is the founder of The Walking Gallery, a movement of over 400 individuals with visual representations of their patient stories painted on their suit jackets. The Walking Gallery hopes to diversify the source content that is used to create the foundation for patient-centered care policy by infusing art imagery depicting a unique patient history or personal story. Dave D. Bronkart, also known as ePatient Dave, is an avid social media user and blogger focused on advocating for the new world of patient engagement and health data rights. Joe Tornello is the Chief Operating Officer of Pulse Info Frame, a health data analytics precision knowledge company. He's also the current president of the Society for Participatory Medicine. And finally, Clayton Nicholas is my colleague at Conduant Health, a senior vice president and healthcare provider industry leader. Thank you all for joining the podcast today. So I have a, I have a series of questions here for all of you. Let me start off with the first one. You each play an important role in speaking for the patient in a variety of ways ensuring that patients are empowered to have a voice in their own care. In each of their opinions, which makes this such a crucial effort in the healthcare industry today. So Regina, if you don't mind, can we get started with you? So having the patient voice be part of the ongoing dialogue within healthcare is incredibly important. Um, until very recently, within the last, well, decade, uh, it wasn't something that was thought you should do. So, so a lot of assumptions were made about patients and caregivers and how they would perceive care. Um, bringing us actually to the table and having us be part of the conversation tends to bring an entirely different worldview and different solutions to the current conditions and problems within healthcare. Um, I agree with what um, Regina had just said. We're, we're in a really interesting phase in the evolution of our healthcare system. We have uh, so many indications that the uh, patient voice is the most underused resource in healthcare. We've done, we've made so much progress in so many other uh, uh, areas. This is the time to inject the voice so that the, both the patient and the provider are co-drivers in the patient's journey toward health and wellness. You know, it's funny. Uh, Ten years ago today, I had my kidney removed. It had two large cancers that had spread metastases everywhere from my skull to my thigh bone. Uh, And it was part of, you know, by July, my treatment had ended, and I've been all better ever since. I'm a specimen of the best that medicine can achieve and yet, a, a couple of years later, I ended up falling down sort of a rabbit hole and turning into a voice for listening to patients. It astounds me, uh, and what I, I, I that happened because I discovered that despite all the brilliance at my hospital, the people who run the computers were completely screwing things up. I mean, they had things in my medical record that simply were false, and it's a whole long story. But they, the, I ended up 
studying ever since then what the heck is going on where so much medical brilliance can be happening and yet the whole system can be shooting itself in the foot, shooting us in the shoulder, completely falling down while prices keep going up. And I'll just give you two. The, the thing for everybody to do here is be present to the mystery of what the heck is going on because it's a complicated subject. One example, I'll read you a phrase here and then tell you uh, something about it. There's an article called Enriching the Doctor-Patient Relationship by Inviting the Patient's Perspective. Okay, this is, I blogged about this on our blog last Friday. The, the opening text says, doctors and patients alike are saddened and angered by the distance that increasingly interferes with their interactions. Two complementary strategies may enhance the human quality of clinical care. First, the doctor and patient can undertake a systematic patient's review that addresses seven dimensions of care, and so on. It goes on and on. That paper was published 25 years ago, March 1st, 1992, and it's still the goal that so many of us are pointing to. And the other thing is something that was published the, uh, the following day, March 2nd, 2017. It's an article in the New England Journal of Medicine preaching about conflicts of interest for patient organizations where six esteemed authors, including the famous Zeke Emanuel, pretty much warned that patient organizations better watch out about getting corrupted by who funds them and the article about us is not visible to us. It's behind their paywall. So through the miracle of social media, I just tweeted to them and said, what's up with this? You know, you're talking about us. Could you let us see it? And that all comes down to our slogan, which is nothing about us without us. That's interesting, Dave. Thanks. Clayton? Sure, um, I agree with a lot of the points that have been made. Um, I think there's also some sh major structural changes that are happening in healthcare that really makes uh, patient advocacy um, uh, crucial right now. You have a, a huge increase in the patient's out-of-pocket costs with high deductible plans um, growing dramatically um, and patients having to figure out how to best spend their out-of-pocket dollars. You have new technology in the market that provides choice in terms of what procedures might work for you, whether it's um, invasive or less invasive types of surgeries. You also have a proliferation of different points of care. You know, primarily care had been in inpatient hospitals. Now you have a, a high growth in ambulatory surgery centers, long-term care, skilled nursing facilities. Um, so with this complex system, um, the patient really needs help in terms of uh, navigating that system, making care and treatment decisions that are best for them based on their preference for cost, quality, and, and affordability, uh, as well as convenience. So what are the common pitfalls? What is preventing patients from taking a more active role in their care? I'll start. This is Dave. I... Uh, uh, a really important factor is that we simply don't have access to all of our information, which prevents us from rewarding the best providers by going to them, taking our business to them. 
Uh, and uh, another big factor, of course, is the ever-rising uh, costs of care. And the third factor is that, uh, and this is why Regina and I and our whole Society for Participatory Medicine, uh, led by Joe, we evangelize for participatory medicine, for clinicians to listen to and work with the person who actually has the problem, because the evidence now shows that patients really can bring value to the case, but most clinicians don't know it yet. Okay, um, so, so as I've brought up in the past, I'm big to semantics, and so hmm. I'm concerned a bit about the word pitfall, mm -hmm. since it's a planned um, sort of attack for a person or an animal to fall into a pit. Um, and it, I hope healthcare is not really like that. Sometimes it does seem that way, though. It seems that the way things have been set up make it very, very challenging for patients and their caregivers to get access to information, access to appropriate care, know what's going on. Um, so, so one of the major things that we need is greater transparency and greater communication. Uh, in the last, I mean, it used to be, uh, when I looked at data sets back in 2010 and 2011, there was a big push toward open government, open data sets, and, and you could find a lot of stuff online. It was amazing. There was so much information. You could compare things. And now, in 2017, I'm having trouble finding data. I'm looking at data sets, and it's almost like they're being purposely obscured by being organized in such a way that you almost need to be a medical librarian to understand hospitalcompare.gov. So, so I'm, I'm concerned. I think that we're at this time where healthcare can go in a really positive direction, where there's true partnership, providers working with patients hand in hand to improve care for all, or it can go in a very negative space. And I think one of the things we do with podcasts such as this one and all of our different platforms is try to open things up, make them more transparent, and make better communication so we all get better care. So, so, um, you know, I have to say that I, I agree with what I've heard fully, but I also have a different perspective. And uh, that is that uh, to the points that Clayton had mentioned earlier, there are a number of different shifts that are occurring in the healthcare system today. There's a demographic shift and aging of the population. There is a shift to aging in place in the home. And to me, uh, this is a uh, evolution, not a revolution. I, I see the locus of care shifting from the provider, from providers to patients by intent, although not by design. But inevitably, to me, as the shift settles, the patients will, of necessity, be very, very active participants and the drivers of their care. It has to be that way. So I think that to the, I'm, I'm going to pick up on the word pitfall, uh, pitfalls as well. I don't see it as a pitfall. I see us as on a journey and inevitably getting to that spot. I'm very, very optimistic about it. The greatest breakthroughs occur when cross-disciplinary teams come together. And there's no one who knows more about a person than that person's self. There, that person is with his or herself 24 by 7, 365 days uh, a year. The, the physician and the healthcare system will tap into the knowledge and insights of that person 
to enable better care. I'm very optimistic about it. Yeah, uh, just a quick comment, Joe. I've never heard you phrase it that way, but I completely agree. The greatest breakthroughs happen when there's collaboration, participation, cross-disciplinary terms, especially in our society from the person with the person who actually has the problem, the patient. Thank you for that. Yeah, and I would like to add to what Joe is saying about the demographic shift, uh, especially around the, the the Medicare population. I mean that. The number of Medicare enrollees is growing dramatically each year with the aging population. Medicare will actually be the majority payer uh, for um, provider care in the next five years. And with that comes a sicker population, one that has a high degree of chronic conditions and, and, and higher cost to treat. And, and to improve care for those patients and, and for the overall system, I think we need to really think about that support structure that they have available to them. And, and the family caregivers, the family advocates are going to be crucial in, in providing care coordination and care management for those patients. Um, you know, I, I think there's, there's a need as, as the market moves forward with also just thinking about this for the patient in terms of the broader continuum of care and need that they have, not just when they are a patient or receiving um, care from a provider. Uh, I think we need to move the concept of advocacy and patient voice further upstream in the cycle, where it's really focused on helping um, healthcare consumers understand their benefit options and making a benefit choice that's best for them, understanding the resources that are available in their communities. Um, um, there are a lot of healthcare uh, resources and tools that, that consumers can be using uh, prior to having a significant um, uh, care event. Uh, that's more aligned with keeping the population well, um, and I think will provide benefit to to those patients as well as the system. You know, if I might, I, I'd uh, add a little bit more to that, which is if we look historically, uh, care was episodic. We might have been talking in uh, the early part of the last century as a period of infectious disease and earlier than that as well. And then we move to acute care, someone who was uh, uh, bent over in crushing pain because they were having uh, a heart attack. Clayton mentioned Medicare uh, as the largest payer. The fact is that Medicare is a chronic illness care system. The vast majority of the people who are cared for in Medicare have at least one, if not multiple, chronic conditions. And uh, that requires ongoing communication and insights into the voice of the patient. We have enabling technology. This is called progress. We have progress in healthcare. We have enabling technology that can facilitate that. We have uh, legislative and regulatory uh, requirements as well that are pushing us toward that. And we also have... Uh, evidence-based patient-reported outcome measures that are used to inform us in, uh, in terms of the voice of the patient and the insights into what is occurring uh, with that person. So again, a lot of thought from my perspective that this is a great time to be in healthcare, and there are many, many good days ahead. This is progress. Couldn't agree with you more, Joe. Uh, but uh, let me call out the fact that you know words do matter, and uh, in some ways, I'm glad that uh, 
both you and Regina picked on the word of pitfall because clearly um, you've taken some time to highlight the fact that that's not really um, a, an accurate description of the challenge that the patients face today. So thank you for that. Um, having said that, uh, would you all speak a little bit or maybe share an example or two of companies or even healthcare providers for that matter who are really doing their part to making sure that patients are indeed empowered? Okay, so uh, here's my thought of, about that. Last week or two weeks ago, I had the great privilege of being at HIMSS 2017. And to answer your question, I would say, my God, just look around you. Look at the innovation. Look at the companies, your company uh, being one of them, but there are many others as well. They are pharmaceutical companies, medical device companies, providers, payers, uh, etc., uh, et that were all about the business, I thought, of empowering patients, of improving care. I could, I could mention to you uh, my organization, Pulse uh, InfoFrame, which is about healthcare data analytics and visualization tools. This is an organization, similarly, that is focused on improving patient uh, care and listening to the voice of the patient. You look at um, uh, individuals like Dr. Joseph Kabidar from the Partners Center for Connected Health. He has dedicated his career to enabling the patient voice and moving care out of the provider settings into the home. And he was doing it 20, 25 years ago when it wasn't at all a common thing uh, within what I within academic medicine, there are uh, individuals I could think of. Uh, Hani Abujude, who's the uh, chief of medicine, uh, I'm sorry, the chief of radiology at Cooper University Medical Center. Uh, he's probably the foremost authority in the country on safety and quality in radiology. One wouldn't really have even thought about that. But the truth is, because one generally doesn't see their radiologist, but the truth is that uh, uh, innovation, improving care, listening to patients abounds all around us. It, 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 it's enormous and it's breathtaking. Yeah, I, I also really enjoyed being at the HEMS conference and seeing all of the innovation that, that Joe was mentioning. And, and I'd say just a key area of um, advancement that I've seen over the last couple of years is really around providing new information to patients to help them make the right choices. And I think a lot of what we're talking about is an empowering patients with information to, to make choices for their health care that's right for them. Uh, there are a lot of companies that now provide access to a patient so they know what their out-of-pocket costs would be for a procedure. And if they have an uh, issue with their knee, they can have a thoughtful discussion with their provider uh, based on the um, you know, whether they want a more invasive surgery like a total knee replacement or a less invasive, a, a knee arthroscopy, where both might provide the outcome that the patient needs. But the patient can make the choice based on their preference for cost or recovery terms or whether they, the, the, the potential for um, complications for the procedure and the type of support that they would have after the procedure is done. Um, so that type of information, powering an exchange between the physician and the patient to, to make a better choice, I think is very powerful. 
And then, you know, at Conduence, we're really helping improve this shift towards value-based care and improving the quality of care while reducing uh, costs by working with employers, health plans, providers, pharma, and government across the ecosystem in many different ways to uh, benefit the patient as well as drive value for for our customers. So I'm really excited about where this system is going and the types of capabilities that are out there supporting the patient journey. Yeah, well said. And I happily, uh, listening to the others, I've had time to collect my thoughts uh, on this and jot some notes. Uh, There's no question that although we have a long, long way to go before it's an accomplished reality for everyone, including, for instance, all of Regina's friends in her town in Western Maryland and people everywhere, uh, the what we're seeing is the early signs of real things happening in patient-driven initiatives where either patients are beginning to call the shots or uh, patients or innovators are developing tools to put full power in the patient's hands. A, a couple of examples, uh, the for there are a number of companies now that will do the work to go around to any different doctors and hospitals that you have and collect all your information. There is no hospital that I know of. I'd, I'd love to hear, for instance, there are probably, I'm sure you have a section for comments on this podcast, but I'd love to hear any hospital that's really making it easy for patients to take their data elsewhere. Uh, we do have a big initiative called Open Notes that was initially funded by Robert Wood Johnson that makes it possible for us to get to to at least look at all our visit notes but there's there's no way to send them somewhere you know you have to you have to go get them so there are companies called like Kinergy Hugo PHR CareSync Lifetime Health Diary CareBox uh, a new odd little company called Zibdy Z I B D Y that, that have seen the need and are going and doing the hard work, sometimes manually, of collecting our data and putting it somewhere where we can use it. Uh, and on, on the provider side and the, scient- the scientific side, the BMJ, the British Medical Journal, in 2014 announced a patient advisory panel where they're taking patients and individual patient voices without medical degrees, and there's an advisory panel that the editors turn to so that they don't make mistakes, like the New England Journal made that I mentioned earlier, of talking about patients while blocking the discussion from patient view. And they don't just have the advisory panel, but when a researcher now goes to upload an article to this high-impact journal, they're asked how did you involve patients in defining your research question and the outcome measures? How's that for amazing? And then even on the clinical trial side, uh, the best specimen that I know of, well, there are two actually, uh, a woman named Sharon Terry, she and her husband, neither of whom have medical degrees. Her husband, I, she told me last week, has doesn't even have any college education. 
identified the mutation that was causing this rare, rare condition in both their children. And they now are, they have, they will propose a clinical trial and recruit scientists to do the work. Another one is a woman named Kim Goodsell, and you can look up her story. The revolution has begun of patients truly having power. And anybody who wants to be on the leading edge of harvesting this new world needs to understand how this is possible and what's happening so they can support it and encourage it rather than trying to hold back the tide. So I wanted to respond to something that my esteemed colleague, Dave DeBronckert, just mentioned, which is um, he had used the term patients calling the shots and a uh, revolution. And both of those, to me, uh, have connotations of a contest uh, and, and sort of a, a, a polarizing um, scenario where individuals choose sides. And I'm going to say that, to me, the concept of participatory medicine is collegial. It isn't the doctor on one side or the provider, healthcare provider on one side, and the patient on, on the other. Um, uh, uh, by training, the clinician has far more subject matter expertise than the patient. And what we're talking about is a team, as I mentioned earlier, where each individual is a co-driver in the patient's journey toward health and wellness. I don't see it as a contest, argumentative uh, at all, because I think, I think that's a mistake. We're talking about collaboration, teams working together to achieve optimal results. for the 
Um, I want to say I, I agree. One shouldn't be silent. Co-drivers, I definitely agree with you on that. I, my whole angle on this, so I'm somebody whose scientific training was cut short uh, because I was a slacker in college, to be perfectly honest. You know, and I'm, I'm, I try to be funny about this, but uh, I grew up as a, I was going to be a science hotshot and then I turned into a hippie instead. But I still remember scientific thinking. And in my work in industry, uh, I, I experienced disruptive innovation during my career when the foundation of my industry got ripped to shreds when the when the, I worked in the graphic arts industry and when desktop publishing came along, all of a sudden power was in the hands of the people with the need. And um, the angle that I try to take in my advocacy, and I'll call it evangelism, you know, I am, I am out spreading the word about something that most people aren't aware of. The, uh, I try to say things that will cause a scientific mind. Notice I'm not anti-science. I'm not medicine. I'm to the contrary. I want medicine to achieve more of its potential that will cause the scientific mind to stop and think, wait a minute, is there a glitch in the traditional model? The traditional model is that the people with the best scientific training necessarily, and I'm choosing my words carefully here, necessarily have better information than anyone else. Okay? So, for instance, the Belgian government is spending taxpayer money on Google Ads. If you Google a symptom in Belgium, the top Google ad that shows up says, don't Google it, and leads to a professional ad agency produced video of a family that Googles a symptom and two minutes later they think they're dying. Well, consider in my case, at, at, at diagnosis 10 years ago this winter, 10 years ago right now, my median survival was 24 weeks and I learned from a patient community how to survive the only treatment that might saved me. At that time, there was only one treatment that ever saved somebody with my disease. Uh, and today, my oncologist says, see, this is about collaboration and everybody bringing the best knowledge to the case. Today, my oncologist says in the BMJ, I don't know if you could have tolerated enough medicine to do the job if you hadn't been so well prepared. And that's the point. And what he was talking about was I got information on tolerating side effects from the Internet, from a patient community, and I didn't go rogue. I brought all of it to the oncology team and said, what do you think? And they said, yes, that looks good. I was doing exactly what both Joe and Regina have been talking about, participatory medicine, doing everything I could to save my case. And the really sad thing, Regina's husband died of the same disease. Uh, could have been saved conceivably, maybe. There are never any guarantees. But they were, they, they were blocked from participating in his care. Uh, and there's a whole long story there. Our society is participatory medicine. 
my book and the, the, the chant at the end of my TED Talk is not patients know everything, it's let patients help. And that's what we're talking about. And in order for us to help, we must have access to the information and clinicians and researchers must listen to our perspective. Perfect. Thank you so much. I found this conversation particularly um, both passionate as well as uh, as well as informative. Uh, and so before we sort of wrap up here, uh, I'd like to just go around the horn one quick time, give you each about 30 seconds to see if you if you have anything else you'd like to add. Yes. So, uh, you know, I have to echo everything that Regina just said. It was stated so well. Thank you on behalf of the Society for Participatory Medicine. Thank you on behalf of Pulse in Full Frame for enabling me to participate in this call. But also thank you for being where you are and helping to advance care uh, through Conduit and your innovations. Appreciate it and look forward to working with you more in the future. Absolutely. Uh, th this has been fascinating. Thank you very much. Uh, I'd like to thank each one of you. Uh, this has been a great conversation on giving patients a voice. And I do hope we can continue to uh, continue this conversation going forward. Thanks to all our listeners for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and share today's episode with your friends and colleagues. Thank you.